0: Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth.
1: Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, Nabtrade's Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Well, if you are holding any global investments right now, you're probably feeling a bit depressed. And even if you're not directly holding any international investments, you might have gotten quite the nasty shock when you opened your super statement. I think for a lot of us in Australia, we mostly invest on the ASX, but we have a close eye on what's happening overseas and some of it's not not pretty. So today I'm talking with Julian McCormack from Platinum Asset Management about where we find ourselves and what might lie ahead. Julian, thanks so much for joining me.
0: G'day Gemma, how are you going?
1: I'm well, thank you. Julian, regular listeners would know you've been incredibly bearish on the US and some other markets for a while now. And the reason that you're here, because we don't often talk to the same guest very frequently, but you've called this and you've been really explicit about it for a long time. So wanted to get your updated thoughts on where global markets are right now, how we found ourselves here how you are seeing this at the moment
0: yeah thanks Gemma um and look if I didn't have anything to say I wouldn't be talking to you so uh if everyone had it right yeah you know continue on everybody um so so what's happened so far feels quite painful but it's a it's a multiple contraction so what we're paying for earnings has has come down and that feels like it's really bad And I think a lot of people are thinking, oh, okay, that's the bottom and and this is sort of fine. And what is going to follow is an earnings recession. And and that will likely be also combined with ongoing multiple compression as well, because they tend to go together. So I'm going to talk largely about the US because we're global investors. And I make no bones about being bearish about that market and about global markets by extension, equity markets, that is, because most people are wildly too bullish. You know, what what I observe is people saying, everyone's bearish, so what should I buy? Hey, that's not bearish. That's everyone looking at everyone else's behaviour and looking for an excuse to buy things. And that is absolutely incommensurate with the market bottom, I would think, I would guess. And the real fundamental stuff in data in the economy of the US, I refer to, is 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 pretty is pretty sobering. So let me just talk about earnings, right? Um, as we came into twenty twenty two, the uh, US equity markets were paying roughly the highest multiple of all time for US markets. So, we got to a cyclically adjusted PE ratio of low 30s. Next 12 months, PE ratio of sort of 23, 24, properly accounted, you know, on on gap earnings, not made up earnings. Um, Price to book, price to sales, enterprise value to invested capital, all record highs. So, higher than 2000 as a multiple on most of those metrics and and way higher than 1929. And, And also, a phenomenally large market cap to GDP, which in the same economy gives you some sense of valuation. Um, so, so market cap to GDP got to about 210%. We got to about, you know, sort of uh, uh, low to mid 100s in in the 2000s episode, and we got to uh, sort of about 100% market cap to GDP in the 20s bubble. So, So... I think that's what people gravitate to because the P is really observable, but it's the E that matters now. So the price got to a very high level, but what happened to the earnings? And earnings went wild, you know, just wild from 2019 through to late 2021 into 2022. So just in very simple terms, the EPS you know the earnings per share of the S&P if you turn the S&P 500 into a one company the earnings per share on a next 12 month rolling basis were about 160 uh to 2019 so and that's and and that's why you had and that was on about a 20 pe and that was that sort of about 3000 point S&P 500 then something happened and that market went to sort of 5500 Right. So, so what was that something? The multiple held and the earnings exploded. So you went to about 5,000 points we got to. So, and so we went to around about 228, 230 expected earnings for 2022. So, so let me rephrase that. Earnings went up by about 70 on a base of 160. So they went up by about 40% round numbers in two years at the end of the longest post-war expansion in the US and at the end of one of the longest bull markets in US market history. So earnings went mental. But, but let me extend the point. So retail sales over that same period went up about 25%. Home prices went up about 30%. Imports went up about 35 to 40%. Total corporate earnings, dollars, billion, uh, unadjusted for national accounts purposes. So all the corporate earnings of all of the companies in the United States reported for national accounts purposes went up by 50% and new business formation went up by 60% from the end of 2019 to the beginning of 2020, mid-2020. That is at the end of the longest expansion in the post-war period. That's absolutely extraordinary, yeah? So, so the e went wild and the multiple that everyone paid for the for those earnings went up at the same time and so now that interest rates have risen the the discount rate in the system so what we have to discount earnings by has gone up and markets have adjusted so bonds have peeled off pretty hard obviously and equities have have Done quite some work, you know, an equity market correction of say 30 ish on the NASDAQ and 25 ish on the SP. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good sort of move by historical standards. But the E remains fanciful. So there is no single equity market globally for which consensus estimates have negative earnings 2023 versus 2022 right, despite an energy crisis, despite a war in Ukraine, despite interest rates through the roof, despite money supply going backwards now, everyone expects the earnings to go up. And that is fanciful, just fanciful. In my opinion, could be wrong, disclaimer, disclaimer, right? So I just ask people to remember that returns cluster through time. They tend to, they don't always. And that's what cycles are. As the expansion continues, positive returns all cluster together. And then when corrections happen, negative returns all cluster together as well. So worth remembering that in 2000 in Aussie dollars, the Nasdaq was down about 30%. Then in 2001, the Nasdaq in Aussie dollars was down about 24%. Then in 2002, the NASDAQ in Aussie dollars was down about 30% again. Now, we just ended a bull market of galactic proportions in about November, December of 2021, and we're not a year into this, and so we still have to be pretty careful and, and think about capital preservation. That's that's my that's my sort of sobering set of thoughts to, to, to kick us off.
1: That is about the most sobering set of thoughts to kick us off. I could imagine. I um, I wasn't going to comment as you were speaking, but that's extraordinarily powerful when you put the data. also it's the data, right? It's not the vibe, that's the data uh, in that context. Um, and I have so many questions, but I think for so many people, Just simply absorbing those couple of minutes of you speaking might take a minute. Uh, One question that we perhaps have not talked about on the podcast at any time, you talked about the discount rate changing and I'm assuming most listeners know what the discount rate is, but effectively you go, I'm going to compare any investment to just keeping my money safe in treasuries. Now, no offense to anything, but a lot of treasuries have not been that safe for a while. Um, It's safe, but they've been bouncing around a fair bit. Um, But the discount rate is basically how do I compare an investment to a safe investment over time? And as rates fell to zero, you may as well just put it somewhere else, which is why we were happy to pay so much, why the multiples went mad. Can you talk the impact of rates on earnings because we haven't really discussed that at any point. We've talked a lot about households and how they're going to process, uh, certainly in the US, a doubling of their rate of their repayments uh, in a very short period of time. In Australia, we've obviously seen, seen home loan rates go through the roof. Are you worried about corporate earnings as it relates to their debt level? I do know people who aren't because they don't think corporates are particularly debt laden at the moment. What are your thoughts? Yeah, they're
0: wrong. No, corporates have loads of debt. Depending on which corporates you look at, so um, the the credit quality of triple Bs globally, and in particular in the states, is dreadful, and around about. 25 to 30 percent of triple B issuers um okay so what do I mean um investment grade goes from triple B up so triple B um you know triple uh, B uh, single A triple A at triple B you're the bottom of investment grade and that means all bond managers pretty much can own your corporate debt below triple B so if you go to double B You become high yield and the market is drastically smaller for high yield. So, not as many um, bond funds and investors can own you. Now, what's happened over time is the corporate bond market has skewed um, massively to triple B, so just to the bottom of uh, investment grade. And within investment grade, about half of investment grade issuers on a gearing basis so like a debt to equity type basis should be double b or lower but hey we have zero interest rates forever right so that's all good because that my coverage ratios are good so my my earnings versus what i pay in interest that i look really safe at a triple b level but i've got lots of debt to equity because rates are very low, so my debt service obligations are very low relative to my income. So now what happens when rates go up? Well, a whole lot of people should get downgraded. You know, I think S&P was saying about 25% of all issuers at triple at B have ratios that should put them on negative watch. They said that two or three days ago. So that's a different cycle to what we went through in 08. And I get it that people are saying, oh, the corporates don't have lots of debt, they're fine. Um, they're probably not going bankrupt quickly because the refinancing risk is very low, right? So what do I mean by that? It means people have termed their debt out very long because think behaviorally, anyone who's the CFO today in 2022, 14 years ago, was probably starting their career or middle of their career so they saw what happened in a debt crisis. So they know, oh, my God, I have to be turned out long <laughs> and when times are good, I have to borrow as much as I possibly can. But there is this enormous refinancing risk out there. So that just speaks to earnings, um, sustainability and quality, and then over time it will speak to solvency, Um But that that requires a long period of time because of how how far people have termed out their debt. You know, they don't have to pay it back next next week. They probably have to pay it back in three or four years. So that's that's on the corporate side. There's a bigger thing going on in the world of indebtedness, which is we had this period of ultra-low inflation and interest rates and most importantly, ultra-low volatility of both. And so what that meant was risk-seeking behaviour went through the roof and it wasn't presented as risk-seeking behaviour. And what I mean by that is most aptly summarised by what we've just seen in the US guilt market, where a G7 government uh, or central bank had to act to bail out Their sovereign debt market. I can't tell you how unbelievably psycho that would sound to someone if I told them in 2019. Yeah, you know what? The UK will have to bail out the guilt market, like the sovereign debt market, in two and a half years' time. That's just psycho. But that's just happened. And what that speaks to is anyone who's been selling income, anyone who's been providing income over the last decade, has been doing so in an, an income desert and they've largely, in a sort of factor sense, been selling volatility to fund income. So they've either been gearing up massively, so so betting that volatility doesn't go up, so betting that rates don't have to go up, or, I mean, a lot of the time people have been, you know, basically selling straddles, you know, selling out of the money puts and calls and selling that as income. We better hope volatility doesn't go up, mate, because you're short. So I don't know, and, and it took a couple of days for that UK guilt market stuff, UK sovereign debt market stuff to sink into my thinking. And once it did, I was like, oh my God, okay. So that's what happens when you drive curves to zero at the policy end, keep them flat and low and squash all convexity and volatility out of interest rate markets for a decade, that's the kind of stuff that happens on the unwind. And I don't know, but I'm betting that's just the first of a lot of those kind of incidents.
1: Are you concerned that the bailout then will drive more risky behaviour? Because this is the thing anyone who's around in 2008 is very familiar with the too big to fail concept, and I remember I, I read Bernanke's—I want to say memoir. It's it's not an autobiography, it's sort of memoir. And I thoroughly disagreed with a lot of his decisions, and I read why he made them, and it was quite interesting. Uh, and he certainly, obviously, he's a, he's quite a brilliant man. He's very intelligent, but it still felt that that the uh, that the risks then introduced into the system through moral hazard, which is so great. And then now we see it again, like markets have been betting on the Fed put for 25 years now, and now we have new ones. Does it feel like that to you? Yeah, very much, precisely. And
0: all one can say about that is that the risk of of discontinuities the risk of of you know market bumps and scratches is pretty high and and that uk guilt market one was a classic and then i you know one doesn't know where that will go but uh hey look there's a whole lot of things i would think that qualify for that so um defined benefit pension schemes all over the world um a whole lot of insurance-type behaviour, uh, annuities, all those sorts of things that are providing income to people and have been, have been providing income to people in, a, in an income or yield desert for a decade, all of that worries me. All of that worries me. Um, that said, I don't think it is 08 even remotely. I think there'll be lots of bumps along the way but a lot of what happened in 08 was was simply because of the slippage between the the required action and the legal permissions to take that action. And so we we won't have that kind of event. It's it's just not that kind of party. It's uh this is sort of probably much more like 2000 But with the over-earning of 08, because if you look at corporate earnings before 08, they they exploded for the few years before that because everyone was gearing themselves up too much globally. Um, And so you had this very high level of economic activity globally that built in slowly. We've built in very, very quickly this time in two years post-COVID with a high multiple And then added into that a little, a little mix of the seventies as well with, with absolutely structural inflation. I mean, everybody looking for a pivot or, or, you know, okay, that's the peak in inflation. So we're all good now. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous because now it's labor, you know, that, that, that doesn't go down. So to summarize that line of thought, it's not a crisis. It's a bear market and crises are over pretty quick. Um, I think last time you said, you know, the the bear market post-08 lasted longer than, you know, a bit longer than a long lunch. This is a different thing. You know, we're almost a year into it and all we've seen is multiple contraction without any clarity or honesty about earnings. And if you want a demonstration of that, let, let, let me provide a demonstration of that in real time. So, Right at the moment, we're looking at the trucking sector in, in the US. And so what's happened globally pertains very directly, so, so supply line uh, interruptions, everybody buying stuff instead of consuming services because they had to stay at home, um, all, all that stuff. That, that pertains very directly to the truckers, right? So, So just before I said imports went up nearly 40%. <clears throat> when an import arrives at a port, someone has to truck it to a shop or a fulfilment centre or something. So one of the companies we're looking at is saying to investors, we, we, our earnings per share will never fall below $4. Again, that's the floor for our earnings per share. But in 2019, they did $2 per share and less, and, and the composition of the business is about the same. And the market has just said, well, sorry, not the market, but the, the sell side has just said, Oh, yeah, cool, that's fine. Okay, I'll just accept the four dollars. That's the floor. And so the you know, earnings estimates looking forward go from sort of high fours this year to sort of low four by four bucks 20 or something, 2023, back up to 450, back up to five bucks in 2024. It's just farcical. It's just farcical. You've had Walmart worn, you've had Target worn, you've had Nike worn, you've got You've got the fastest inventory build in US history at retail. Retail is a dominant industry for this particular company. You've had freight rates out of China absolutely collapse. Um, you've got port interruptions you know falling. So so what that means is if you've got a hundred trucks in a system and they're all running around delivering stuff continuously, you're at full capacity. But if they get stopped at a port, and they have to sit there for 10 hours waiting to get loaded, that takes capacity out of the trucking system. So the port, the port stuff is alleviating and that frees up capacity in the system, blah, blah, blah. All I'm saying is you've got these wildly unrealistic earnings expectations being set in real time by companies and people are accepting that. And we are going into a recession in the US. Most likely, my view, I could be wrong, you do you. If we don't have a recession in the US from here looking forward, it will be the first time ever you've had a 50 basis point inversion of the twos of the two year, 10 year yields without a recession. It'll be the first time ever you've had a net tightening of the, of the loan officer survey into small and medium and large businesses ever in US history. It'll be the first time ever that the Philly Fed Future New Orders Index has gone uh, negative without a recession in the US. It'll be uh, one of the very few times that the National Association of Home Builders' uh, measure of confidence has gone to less than 50 without a recession. Uh, It'll be the first time ever, ever, that you get uh, inflation back below four without an unemployment rate of 10. Let me repeat that. Never in the history of modern economics has US inflation got above five or six and then got back towards target without the unemployment rate going to 10%. That's never happened. So (laughs) it's pretty clear that one's expectation should be for a recession. And let me just follow that thought up with saying if everybody expected there to be a recession, you'd see it in the earnings estimates. You'd see it on the news every night yeah we're definitely in recession it's all good you'd see unemployment um rising and then you can begin to think okay now we've begun to find the floor now we can begin to think about buying these markets because now it's all you know uh, as is so famously said in in the price um but that 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 all seems a long a long way off
1: I was going to say, Bloomberg's recently stated that the U.S. has a hundred percent chance of going into recession. So you're you're not Robinson Crusoe on that call. Uh, it's uh, you're not alone, and you're right. it does feel interesting that the news cycle seems very focused on the downside risk, and yet markets are very um, blithe, I guess, about the potential for for earnings risk. One thing I find really interesting, and I've I've said it many, many times. One thing I find really interesting, and I've I've said it many, many times, certainly volumes, trading volumes and investing volumes. A lot of our, our customers are investors. They're not traders, right? They're placing an investment for the future. They are not piling into this market thinking we've found a flaw. And I'm talking mostly about the ASX and we were having a conversation before we came online about how modest the fall in the ASX has been relative to the US. You had a couple of comments on that, which I think might be valuable for people to hear if they're feeling a bit depressed right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think the ASX is pretty fine, really. I mean, people have to remember cycles are cycles because they feel natural. And it feels natural to everybody that these uh, fantastic U.S corporates have had amazing share price appreciation over time. And so therefore yeah, it's just natural that the U.S equity market has outperformed global markets ex-US by hundreds of percent in this in this cycle and that's normal. It's not It's not normal. That's a cycle. And so what I'm talking about is the center of overvaluation and enthusiasm globally. And at the, at the periphery, like Australia, uh, the damage just isn't going to be so acute. Um, our sort of six, high six thousands or 7,000 points on the ASX. Um, that's where we got to 15 years ago. And the, and the U and US markets have better than tripled since then. So just think about how far. We might have to correct if the ASX had gone to 21,000, not back to 7,000. And then the composition of the market matters enormously as well. Look, our tech names have corrected in the same way as the peripheral speculative tech and consumer stuff in the States. So everything from, you know, MongoDB, Splunk. Twilio, Atlassian, Slack, uh, service, ServiceNow, Workday, on and on. I mean, you know, these things have all been just slammed, right? And it's only it's only the emperors of the move that are left to do any work down. Amazon, Apple, Tesla, Microsoft, and so you know we're at this sort of very late part of of the of the early part of a bear market. Where the frothy stuff has died away, that's happened in Australia, and and likely continues to happen. And and the risk that I've just warned people about is, um, markets almost never go back to the well that just poisoned them. So if you think in two or three years' time that your fancy tech thing or fancy tech slash consumer thing will do very well looking forward, it almost definitely won't, because Cycles break and they change and something else leads you back out. And so my contention to people is that they should be thinking about a cycle in which the billionaires that emerge at the end of the next cycle that will go into, you know, once we find a flaw, um, they'll be in energy, materials, metals, industrials, uh, green uh, energy and tech, Uh, solutions. They'll more likely be emerging market than developed market. It'll be very, very different to the cycle we've just been through. And all of that speaks pretty well uh, for the Australian market over time. And then just finally, it's worth remembering that in the 2000 cycle, when the US corrected by 50% on the S&P, nearly 80% on the NASDAQ, the S&P hardly went down. You know, it was off and it was long and it was grinding and it didn't feel nice, but it wasn't cataclysmic. And that was a similar, that 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 event, that 2000 cycle had had similar characteristics to what what we observe in this cycle. So, you know, much more sanguine for Australia, much more sanguine for emerging markets in general. And, yes, I am calling Australia a kind of an emerging market. Um, you know, we, we have very similar... Uh, exposures to emerging markets. So lots and lots of financials and uh, materials in our market, much like many emerging markets. Um, but you need to you need to chop some wood between between now and whenever any of that looks good. Principally, the US dollar has to reverse. Uh, so um, we're just in this spiral up for the US dollar for now. That will reverse at some point. And then from there, you know, you can begin to do some pretty good work in, in EM, emerging market type exposures and materials and energy and that kind of stuff. And indeed the ASX with one provisor. I am very, very worried about consumption related exposures in this economy, in this country. And I'm very, very worried about levels of household debt. You know, I, I think this is going to be a very difficult time because inflation is structurally and meaningfully higher than it's been for decades, and interest rates will have to stay higher to deal with that.
1: I thought you were getting all optimistic there for a second about Australia and then you just killed it at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's fine, you know, like it's
0: it's fine, it's okay, it's whatever, but people, people just need to know that in my view, and I could be wrong, that The probability of making really great money here in markets with global CPI, just having got global inflation, just having gone through 10% is very low. We shouldn't be excited here. We should be very cautious.
1: I think what makes me hopeful, ironically, is that our investors are extremely cautious at the moment and have been for some time. They've been really cautious probably since the beginning of the year. Uh, You know, that was when we really saw volume started to fall, but also people just taking cash off the table. So a real tip toward selling rather than buying and so on, which gives you some hope then that people, and actually this is a fact, people are sitting on a ton of cash and waiting for an opportunity. They're not seeing the opportunity yet, which is interesting and aligns very much to what you're saying. They're listening closely, clearly. I'm going to ask a final question. That's simply what would you like investors to be thinking about right now? there's so much to absorb from what you've said and there's so much data to keep an eye on. It's quite overwhelming. There is clearly, I wouldn't say anxiety, but there's clearly caution in the investor base and in the group of listeners on this podcast. What would you like them to be thinking about right now? Just patience.
0: Patience is a a real virtue um, in this kind of market. I've mentioned inflation a couple of times and I'll, and I'll just say it again. Um, there is no way to get wage inflation of 6% down without a, a recession. It, it, it just can't happen. Well, let me that's not right. Um, it's unlikely to happen and it's never happened before, so good luck taking that bet. So, so just be patient. This is a process, not a point. It's great to be sitting on cash, uh, in in this kind of environment, and I know people say, "Oh, but I get a negative real return because inflation eats away at my uh, value." But hey, do you want to do you want a zero nominal return, or do you want a negative nominal return and inflation? Right, that that's kind of the bargain here. And then over time, over the next two years, at a guess, eight, eight months, something like that. Markets are going to see the following. Lots of bankruptcies, so corporate bankruptcies. Unemployment go up globally, um, and in particular in the US and, and sort of peripherally and yet less so in the, in, in Australia, but, but it, will, it will happen. Asset prices will continue to be under pressure. There will be lots of uh, false starts. Indeed, we we keep seeing these violent moves up in markets, Uh, so overnight the NASDAQ was up 3% plus, uh, S&P up about 3%, that's not bullish, that's bearish. Most 3% up plus moves happen in bear markets because volatility is very high. So volatility will begin to fall, the energy comes out of the system, right? So, So as that all happens, then you can begin to deploy your cash with some more confidence, right? So rather than thinking about levels, Think about the kinds of things you need to observe in the real world. And look, I'm really excited to go and own a whole lot of sectors coming back out of this event. US housing is going to be great. I reckon our Aussie miners are going to be pretty great. Uh, I think a lot of emerging market stuff is going to be pretty great, you know, because the demographics uh, argue for that and then a whole lot of clean energy type um, or new energy type exposures, most simply copper, Uh, Are going to be fantastic over the next ten years. So there's lots of stuff to be constructive about over time, but I observe a lot of investors that that you know, so in global markets, they're sort of either my competitors or peers, wanting to look through this event and find bottoms. I'm not interested in that. I don't care about that because I think there's a lot of time to go until we can find a bottom, given very very high levels of of inflation and nothing has happened in the real economy that would suggest that um, that we're arriving at a bottom.
1: I think that's very wise advice and for many people quite comforting because it probably aligns with how people are feeling at the present time. You can see from their behaviour that they're not pinning their ears back at the moment. Julian, Platinum and you personally share a lot of great insights and some fairly strong perspectives about markets and the global economy, which are quite differentiated, right, from a lot of the sort of more careful, uh, less punchy stuff that is out there from, from some others. Where can people go to find out more about you guys and what you're thinking?
0: So if you just Google Platinum Asset Management, uh, our website has a section like called the journal, which which has a lot of lot of thoughts on there. Um, sort of the less uh, sanitised version of that might be my LinkedIn. So if you just you know look for Julian McCormack on LinkedIn, all, all I talk about is markets, so you won't see any personal gumph on there. And our CIO and and CEO Andrew Clifford um, is on LinkedIn as well, and and posts sort of somewhat more thoughtful pieces than some of my little epithets. So yeah, um, um, if you cast an eye over all that stuff, you'll, you'll get, a, get a sense of what we're thinking.
1: It's, it's genuinely educational and it's genuinely insightful and you can agree or disagree, but you're definitely not going to walk away going, well, that was boring. Uh, Julian McCormack from Platinum Asset Management, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Gemma, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much for listening. Also, as always, we love hearing from you. We know what you guys are thinking a lot of the time. We love your feedback. We love your questions. We love knowing what you want to hear more about. Please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth.com. At nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.